For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. The northern snakehead, an invasive fish species, made national news for crossing the Florida-Georgia line. Unfortunately, the actual state boundary line, not the somehow popular pop country group. The snakehead is a highly adaptable, fast-breeding invasive fish species that happen to be very good eating which makes them literally more palatable than the aforementioned pop country group. The northern snakehead is an obligate air breather, meaning it can breathe with or without water, and even in times when the water they are in is full of oxygen, it will still breathe air, in addition to cycling water through its gills. Tarpon would be a much more revered example of an obligate air breather. The snakehead prefers shallow, muddy streams, but in reality, it can make its home just about anywhere. It's planted, abandoned, or wriggles into. Snakeheads are native to China, the Korean Peninsula, and Russia, but according to USGS, they were first found in the U.S. and California in 1997, Florida in 2000, Massachusetts in 01, Maryland in 02, then North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, D.C., Arkansas, New Jersey, Delaware, Mississippi, Missouri, and most recently, Georgia. The Maryland Pond incident of 2002, which I reference here because the meat eater crew and myself may have actually eaten some fish that could have possibly descended from them. Anyhow, the pond incident occurred something like this. The owner of the pond had purchased two northern snakeheads because they look cool, I guess, from a market in New York and released them. Eventually, he must have thought better of this and decided to report the situation to the state of Maryland. When they drained the pond, they found not only the two original fish, but an additional hundred or so juvenile fish. Surprise! 
the northern snakehead is sexually mature at about 12 inches in length. They'll spawn several times a year, potentially distributing more than 100,000 eggs, which only take two to three days to hatch. The younger fish have the ability to wriggle their way across sections of dry ground to move into new or more suitable habitat. According to the USGS, if needed, they can breathe only air for up to four days. As you can imagine, an invasive fish that can do things like move across dry ground is hard to keep track of. Currently, snakeheads have been reported in 14 states. In the state of Maryland, local fishermen have taken them with archery equipment up to 19.9 pounds and a little over 35 inches. The rod and reel record is out of Virginia at just under 18 pounds. The bad news is state and in some cases federal agencies have thrown nets and poison like rotenone at these sneaky, hungry invaders, but they still keep turning up in new areas. The only good news is that these fish are showing themselves often at the end of a fisherman's hook. So go buy a fishing license and throw some bait for a tasty invasive. Kill your catch, preferably by a solid bonk on the head. Remember these fish can breathe air. Record where you were and call your local Department of Natural Resources. In states like Maryland, where it is illegal to do so, take your invasive home and eat it. We ate a bunch of northern snakeheads while in Maryland last October. They were really good, and if you don't like fish, they taste way more like chicken. Heck, if you don't like fishing, you can shoot them with archery equipment and bag them that way. Hopefully, you're chomping at the bit to go out and help with this issue. If so, there is just one more thing to remember. Snakeheads are often mistaken for another obligate air breather, the bowfin. This is a problem because while snakeheads are invasive and highly destructive, bowfin are native and beneficial to their home ecosystems. Bowfin, like gar, get a bad rap for some anglers who claim wrongly that they eat more desirable sport fish and harm their populations. These native fishes have been swimming in our waters for significantly longer than popular sport fish. If bowfin were so destructive, bass and walleye probably wouldn't be all of where they are today. For more about this very cool fish, check out our most recent Trash Fish Tuesday article at TheMeatEater.com and bone up on your anal rays and general fish identification skills before you head out to kill a pile of snakeheads so you don't accidentally take out a swath of bowfin instead. This week, we've got horseshoe crabs, warblers, ducks, and the Fortnite fishery. But first, let me tell you about my week. I purchased a three and a half horsepower two-stroke outboard engine off of Craigslist, thinking of how easily it would power my old canoe. I had visions of getting into some really sneaky pheasant spots for opening weekend of Montana's Chinese ringneck pheasant opener. That's another invasive species, by the way. Instead, I just powered the canoe and the oil and gas spilling stinky little engine down the river for three days. Really making me think how much I enjoy my super clean, non-smelly, super powerful steel battery-powered chainsaw. You could cut a cord of wood with that thing, with all of your scent-free whitetail clothes on, then go climb a tree and smell nothing but ma nature and ideally a sneaky old buck. In other news, I got an email from a listener named Kelsey, who lives only 30 minutes from Stephen Ranella's hometown. Kelsey wants to know what role porcupines play in the ecosystem, as it seems everyone in the area shoots them on sight, while Kelsey finds them, quote, freaking adorable. Well, Kelsey, the reality is I don't really know what the role of the porcupine is, other than being a common mountain lion meal. However, I do know that the name porcupine is derived from the Latin names porcus and spina 
which we Americanized to quill pig, which is a catchy name. And the North American porcupine packs around 30,000 quills, which is impressive. More importantly, uh, Buddy's grandpa got really ticked at us for killing a quill pig to collect a $5 bounty, stating that you never kill porcupines because they are an animal you can kill with a stick if you're ever lost in the woods. The porcupine's diet is not limited to, but does include tree bark, and I have seen the scars from their teeth on lots of young trees that eventually died, making me wonder if part of their role is to act as a natural tree thinner or deforester. But that is just my theory. If there are any North American porcupine experts that have the actual honest answer to Kelsey's and now my question, please write in to askcal at themeateater.com and let us know. Now, for some real up-to-date stuff, I am currently sitting in a converted loafing shed on a converted dairy to fishing slash hunting operation uh, in South Dakota. Lynn Lake Lodge, if you don't know it, it is pretty darn great. We went out and shot mallards in a flooded cornfield this morning, <coughs> plucked and cleaned our birds about lunchtime, and now we need to go find more birds, so I'm going to make this quick one. But uh, don't worry, we still got lots to cover. This area, although I do understand it is hit or miss, two years ago it was in an absolute drought with hardly a duck or goose to be found. Now it's basically completely underwater, which is hard luck for the farmers, but good luck if you're a duck has giant salamanders that I'm absolutely infatuated with. So, you know, you can go a lot of places and see a duck, but if you ever make it out this way, you're in luck because monster salamanders, leopard salamanders, I believe they're called, or tiger salamanders. Anyway, I cannot mention duck hunting without mentioning the duck stamp. The duck stamp, for those of you who do not know, is a $15 federal tax stamp that you must buy if you hunt migratory game birds, like doves, cranes, geese, and of course ducks. Of that $15, $14.70 is retained and placed into the Migratory Bird Conservation Fund. These funds have been used for bird refuges in every state, roughly 6 million acres for wildlife the habitat they need, and in some places, some incredible wildlife viewing, as well as hunting and fishing opportunities. The stamp was created in 1934. That year, about 634,000 stamps were sold. Last year, 2018, over one and a half million stamps were sold, which is great, but it's not as good as it once was. In 1971, over 2.4 million stamps were sold. What was happening in 71, they got more folks to buy duck stamps than right now. This age of technology and free-flowing knowledge, I don't know. But I do know this stamp benefits everyone that enjoys clean water and wildlife. So go buy a duck stamp. You can send me a letter with it if you aren't interested in hunting a duck with it. I'll be very pleased with you either. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop 
for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Way moving over to our hematology desk. If you've ever seen a horseshoe crab, which if you've ever spent any time on any beaches out east, you likely have, you know, they kind of look like a giant armored tadpole. Or maybe more like a soldier's helmet, only with a tail and some spindly legs. Point is, they're kind of an odd looking creature and probably not one that you get warm, fuzzy feelings about. They don't have the big doughy eyes and soft fur that tends to make humans get all sentimental. But let me just tell you this. Pandas may be cute, but they haven't come close to doing for you what horseshoe crabs have. In fact, you can likely thank horseshoe crabs for saving your very life. No joke. Every single American who has ever had an injection, which is pretty much all of us, can thank horseshoe crabs for the safety and sterility of the contents of that injection. More specifically, we can thank the blood of horseshoe crabs for that gift because their blood has a unique and incredible kind of superpower. Stay with me here for just a second. Horseshoe crab blood, which happens to be a creepy shade of bright blue, also contains a chemical called coagulogen that detects and traps even the slightest traces of bacteria. Back in 1956, doctors began to extract coagulogen from horseshoe crab blood and use it to test medicines. When put into a solution, like say, for instance, a batch of polio vaccine, coagulogen will find any bacterial presence, even at a concentration of one part per trillion. Surround it and trap it. And for the past 60 years or so, horseshoe crab blood has been used to test the safety of every drug certified by the FDA. 
you could say that horseshoe crabs have been very good to humanity, albeit not voluntarily. Humans, however, haven't been so good to the crabs. Historically, commercial uses were harvesting these ancient mollusks by the millions. And when I say ancient, I'm talking horseshoe crabs are in the fossil record dating back 450 million years. Anyway, we've been grinding up these ancient critters for fertilizer and then using them as bait and conch traps. Currently, we still harvest them by the millions, but instead of grinding them up, we stick large needles into them, drain 30% of their blood, then let them go in the hopes that we can capture them again in the future and repeat the process. We've been doing this for decades, assuming that only 20% or so of the blood crabs die. We're getting not a bad percentage out of this renewable resource, if you, you know, take into account the benefit to humanity. A new study suggests that while only one in five crabs dies, the practice is still having a pretty significant negative impact on the population. See, the crabs only get harvested when they come into the shallows to reproduce. In a normal spawning season, a mature female will travel back and forth in the intertidal zone, spawning multiple times. But this new study shows that the bleeding process negatively impacts reproductive success. It seems that whole sticking a giant needle into the carapace and sucking out a third of the blood thing is a bit of a reproductive mood killer. Researchers are getting close to producing a synthetic coagulogen that would alleviate the need for crab bleeding, and here's where the final irony comes in. If horseshoe crabs lose their incredible value as pharmaceutical industry dairy cows, they may go back to being fishing bait and fertilizer. These creatures have been on Earth for more than half a billion years, thanks in part to their crazy bacteria-blocking bright blue blood that protects them from infection. We've been working really hard to keep the species alive and well while they were valuable to drug companies. But if they lose that necessity, who's going to give a crap about an alien-looking thing scuttling on the seafloor? Moving on to the anthropology desk. Remember how we touched on food waste last episode? Well, it turns out that people have been tinkering with food storage for some time. In fact, Tel Aviv University researchers recently discovered evidence of food storage at Qasem Cave that took place between 420,000 and 200,000 years ago. Evidence of food storage was found by analyzing the cut marks of an astonishing 81,898 bones from mostly fallow deer. Researchers determined that the cut marks made on bones that were found at the cave are different than that of bones that were fresh, leading the researchers to believe that the cave bones were left hide on specifically to help preserve the marrow inside the bone for later consumption. If anyone has tried to clean up an old skull versus a new skull, you know what they're talking about. Now the bones that they're talking about specifically are what we would call forelegs. My experience with forelegs is I used to give them as dog treats to my dogs all the time. They would stay fresh for a long time. This is anecdotal evidence on the personal side, of course. So that makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense is 81,898 of these foreleg marrow bones is the number produced out of the same cave. At four marrow bones per fallow deer, that's roughly 20,500 fallow deer consumed at one site. And that's assuming, of course, that these Paleolithic hunters weren't just keeping the extra thick bones. 
This find challenges the thought that people from this period only lived hand to mouth. They traveled, killed, and ate as they went, or they traveled, didn't kill, and didn't eat. This find could be the oldest evidence of food preservation ever. Aside from that, it definitely proves that these Paleolithic hunters had a heck of a spot for fallow deer. Good news from U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the Kirtland's warbler, one of the very first species on the endangered species list, has now been delisted. In the 1950s, fewer than 20 male Kirtland's warblers remained in the wild. Thanks to early efforts from the state of Michigan DNR, that number was climbing even prior to the ESA listing in 1971. By 2015, that number had climbed to an estimated 2,383 warblers. This is an example of active cooperative management in the absence of natural management, in this case fire. The Kirtland warbler needs young pine stands to reproduce, the kind generated by naturally occurring forest fires. In the absence of those fires, reforestation projects after timber harvest, alongside the suppression of competitive species like the cowbird, allowed for the rebound of the warbler. Always a win to see a species come off the list. They aren't supposed to be on there forever. Now, we're checking in with an admittedly understaffed desk. The quote, eSports desk, or the indoor kids desk. Gamers are excited over a couple of new additions to the online game Fortnite. Fortnite being an online community game that is free to play, however, if you want certain things in the game, you can buy them with real money. This game makes hundreds of millions of dollars per month converting hard-earned cash into online currency called V-Bucks in order to buy, you know, fake things. The latest update to the game includes the ability to go fishing. Fishing for fish that give your player health. But speaking of player health, there is a class action lawsuit in the works on behalf of 10 to 15 year old children against Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite, claiming the game is more addictive than cocaine and that the marketing aspect of Fortnite encouraged the two kids named in the lawsuit to spend more than $1,000 of mom and dad's money on V-Bucks. I propose a settlement along the lines of this. Epic Games creates a fishing license that goes directly to a conservation fund to be spent on real live fish and real live fisheries habitat and restoration. Currently, a thousand V-Bucks costs less than $10. That seems like a reasonable license fee considering there are over 250 million Fortnite players worldwide. If we can't get you outside, we can at least make you e-gamers, e-conservationists. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, tell a friend or two and leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand star. If you're looking to set me straight or send me something interesting, you can always find me at AskCal, that's A-S-K-C-A-L, at TheMeatEater.com. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules 
from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. 